Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 6.5% was it? Is, is that what the current odds are of the Stanley Cup? Well, and you, if you look at the round-by-round round progression, the Stanley Cup favorite is uh-huh. the Vancouver Canucks. Like, what a time to be alive! I, talking you through every goalie controversy, scoring slump, and draft lottery bust, this is the C4 Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Here they are, the best starting lineup we could afford under the salary cap. Chris, Matt, Anna, and Adam. Welcome to another episode of the C4 Podcast found on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. I'm your co-host, Matt Lee, joined by my co-host, Anna Forsyth. Anna, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, How about yourself? I'm doing great. Um, Thanks for uh, holding down the fort last week as I was away. Um, That's what I do. I'm always there so that's you know people come and go and i'm just always here yeah but i mean you i think this came up on twitter over the weekend as well that you'd never miss a an episode yeah which isn't completely true but it's like you know mainly when i go home to the mother country of the times i miss episodes but yes your your annual sabbatical to the mother country but, you know, my Iron Man streak is going pretty strong. I am the Henrik Sedin of this podcast. Oh, the Iron Man. Yes, the Iron <laughs> Woman. I don't dis- I don't discriminate. Um, should mention that we are broadcasting to you via the Full Press Network, um, continuing our new and exciting relationship with Full Press. Um, Anna, Chris Golden is away from this week uh, for this week's episode, but uh, happy to have this be a tag team affair. Um, coming up on today's show, lots to get into. Of course, there's a, a lot of news swirling about the for, around the NHL and their their uh, rumored return to play. So we'll get into 
what we believe to be a, a finalized hub city plan. It's expected, I think, at some point this week that Vancouver and Las Vegas will get named as the two hub cities for the NHL. We'll talk about that. Uh, Edmonton still in the mix as well, putting together an 11th hour push from Premier Jason Kenney. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Other big news in the NHL this week, the draft lottery happening this Friday. My money is on Team C. Yeah, sure. Um, um, JT Miller, it is the one year anniversary, if you can believe it, of the JT Miller trade. So a year ago today, Anna, I was freaking out over a first round pick and a year later, I'm still kind of freaking out over a first round pick. But of course, the JT Miller performance throughout the course of the 2019-20 season has made it much more easier to swallow. So we'll look back on that JT Miller trade, um, the return back then and how we feel about it now. It's a good time to sort of look at it in retrospect. Also continuing our Vancouver, Minnesota play-in primer. We'll look at three players on both the Canucks and the Minnesota Wild who could be difference makers in this series, as well as one under-the-radar player who could also have a coming-out party in that series. So a lot to get into, Anna, and let's get right into it. Anna, before we start the show, um, I think it's worth mentioning right off the top that our condolences do go out to the family of Troy Stetcher. Some very unfortunate, tragic news uh, happening to the Vancouver Canucks organization earlier this morning as they announced the unfortunate passing of Troy Stetcher's father, Peter. Um, on behalf of us here at the C4 Podcast, our thoughts and condolences go out to the Stetcher family. And um, you saw the tweet earlier this morning. What were your sort of immediate thoughts? Yeah, just um, a real tragedy. Um obviously a tragedy at any time but in and around father's day it's um particularly poignant um you know the two of us are happy and lucky to have great dads in our lives um obviously the dadly is um a absolute gem but um yeah we're the players that have suffered this year from losing their father jacob markstrom and more recently zach McEwen. it's just really tough um for anyone but when you're trying to gear up to in these strange circumstances to head back to play it's just very tough situation and yeah thoughts go out to his whole family yeah you mentioned um there as well that this is the the third passing of a, a father on the canucks team this season and it's it's almost hard to believe that you know again jacob markstrom zach McEwen, and now troy stetcher have lost their father in the span of less than one year um under various different circumstances of course but it, it doesn't get any easier i think for us to to talk about these losses and you know we i i read i read friend of the show patrick johnson's quick um article on troy stetcher's father and really this is a a loss for the richmond community of course we know troy from richmond um they talked about in this article, I encourage you to check it out, by the way, on theprovince.com, but talked about how Peter Stetcher was a coach for Troy Stetcher, who, of course, was a cut above the rest of his peers. But he really made time for all of the players, really. And it was uh, a guy who was very dedicated to the community of Richmond and developing hockey players and good people um, through the sport of hockey as well. And um, yeah, it's it's a tremendous loss for the for the community of Richmond in particular, but um, obviously a lot of people in BC are, are feeling the loss for Troy Stetcher, and I'm hoping Canuck fans rally around uh, the Stetcher family at this time. Totally. And, um, you, yeah, 
mentioned the Zach and Jacob and losing their dads this season. It really is a short space of time. Terribly tragic, but you, those are two great dudes and you do hope the three of them can support each other and lean on each other as well as their teammates during this time. Yeah, for sure, Anna. Um, as we sort of transition things here on the podcast to what's happening now, of course, there's a lot of talk about uh, what we will believe to be two NHL hub cities announced at some point this week. Uh, there were rumors of flying about uh, throughout the weekend, Anna, that it had come down to Vancouver and Las Vegas. I think let's start from a Vancouver perspective. Obviously, this is uh, pretty big news for the city of Vancouver and the province of British Columbia as a whole. What has your sort of thoughts been on Vancouver being a hub city, just from a, a non-hockey perspective? Um. Well, as we mentioned before, um, obviously it's exciting for the province and the city, and I'm sure it'll bring um, some money in with it, but it's not like we get any special excitement from it. It's it's kind of cool to know, would be cool to know that there's NHL playoffs taking place in your city, but... I don't imagine the playoff buzz will be the same as, you know, a regular series where you can be going to games or even watching the games publicly, as happened in 2011. So the most we might get is just, you know, bars. But even then, I think it's going to be ways away from crowds and bars. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit odd. To, it's an odd feeling. Well, I mean, I'll I'll say this. It's... It's been interesting from a non-hockey perspective to watch, you know, Premier John Horrigan really um, try to sell Vancouver as a hub city. Um, you'd think that Vancouver was bidding for another Olympics all over again with the way the city of Vancouver and British Columbia has been really pushing for Vancouver to be a hub city. Yeah, I mean, the whole... Um, we went from Canada really looking like it wasn't going to be an option which I think I even said, whether it was last week or the week before, saying looks like it's going to come back in the States because of the government being unwilling to waive the 14-day quarantine. But now it looks like Canada looks like a better option than the States just because of the danger it still poses from a public health point of view. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of been interesting to see the premiers going to bat for their province um, you mentioned earlier, um, Jason Kenny going real hard. Is it Jason Kenny? That's his name, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, okay. I was just wondering if I had made that up. Um, yeah, so Edmonton is still in the mix, as I understand. I don't think of there's a final. Yeah, we. I don't think we know the final decision yet, but yeah. It's, um... it's just, a, it's weird. It's a weird thing. So here's the first thing, I think, which distinguished Vancouver as a viable hub city candidate. I mean, I think there's no doubt in my mind that Vancouver has the the ice facilities necessary to host multiple games at multiple locations within distance of each other. Um, you know, I'm, I'm speculating on my part and we'll see more details, I guess, as the uh, plan gets revealed in its entirety. 
But my guess is that we're not playing at just Rogers Arena here for NHL games. There is the possibility here that we could see NHL games being played at, for instance, UBC's Thunderbird Arena, as far away as the Langley yep. Event Center, um, even maybe the Pacific Coliseum on Renfrew as well. I mean, I think those are all four possibly viable destinations to play games. The three of the first three being probably the most um, likely, but all three of those arenas, they have the lighting um, capacity that you need to host games. They have the broadcast ability to host games as well. Um, I think that's probably the first thing that distinguished Vancouver from some of the other candidates that we had been seeing earlier. Right. I mean, obviously the Olympic experience is huge. Um, Hockey was just a small part of that, but um, yeah, you have an NHL rink with all the broadcast capabilities and experience that comes with and facilities that come with that. You have um, a WHL rink, a former WHL rink, and um, a pretty, like, an NHL practice rink slash university rink in UBC. So those are pretty good scenarios, um, pretty good setups. Also, Vancouver's not that big. Like, Langley's pretty far out, but, you know, three of those are within Vancouver proper. Um, I, I, yeah. Look at Toronto and Edmonton. Edmonton's pretty spread out. The GTA is huge. What they consider downtown is just, you know, everywhere in southern Ontario, I think. But, um, yeah, that from that point of view, it does seem like that Vancouver's pretty well set up. God, I sound yeah. like I'm shilling now. I sound yeah, like no I'm kidding. on this committee, but well, I I think it's true. Pride, I think there. Man. There were a number of factors, I think, that come into play as to why Vancouver was the destination of choice for a hub city. And the the rink infra infrastructure is one of them. The other one, I think, is also it ticks the boxes in terms of hotel accommodations available for players. There's just the infrastructure needed to house many players at this time during lockdown bubbles, if you will for this return to play. So I think that's another one of the boxes that they ticked for the NHL. Yeah, definitely. I think Edmonton had the selling have the selling point of having a hotel attached to the rink, but Vancouver just has a huge amount of hotels in quite a concentrated area, sort of along the water there in downtown. Um, so I think that's huge. And I just think the events of the last week, particularly um, at the weekend with the huge jump in cases, um, has kind of changed the perspective of the league a little bit um, from thinking, well, we'll create a bubble. It doesn't really matter how the city's doing um, to seeing that, you know, that it's quite vulnerable still. Like, yeah. obviously, that's not this it's not quite at the same standard, but like, you've got to think that the Tampa players were being pretty cautious with everything and still three players and two staff members went down. Yeah, all the MLB think, teams got like completely taken out, pretty much. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's really the third big factor here is that you look at what's currently happening, the situation in the United States with respect to the number of cases, which continue to skyrocket. Um, Toronto, I think, has still very much sort of getting over that hump. We saw Alberta hit quite a peak earlier as well, whereas BC has stayed in the grand scheme of things relatively flat and. The NHL has clearly looked at what is happening in other professional sports leagues. Their return to play, like, let's look at the NBA, for instance. Their plan was to resume play in the state of Florida, Anna. And I feel like that that might be very much up in the air at this point. And the NBA 
latched onto that plan very early from the get-go, and they're probably rethinking that a little bit right now. But the NHL has taken a bit more of a cautious approach, been holding their cards close to the vest to sort of see what the cities are looking like at this point in time. And again, at this point in time, Vancouver and British Columbia still remains relatively flat. So I think there are three big factors that have played into why Vancouver was one of the top contenders for a hub city. Yeah, and I do think um, it's worth noting that Nevada has seen a huge spike in cases, but um, I guess their thinking is that with all the facilities available in Vegas, just the plethora of hotels, entertainment options, and um, the space that they can put um, any you know rinks and stuff like that that they need. I guess the thinking behind still back in Vegas is just um, that they will be able to control that with the amount of facilities available, I guess. For sure. I totally about Vegas being able to keep players in a much tighter bubble than they would in other cities, I think is probably the logic behind that. I do think that Edmonton is at least somewhat viable, but I do think Vegas's facilities had to have put them a cut above Edmonton in this case. Yeah, and I guess we'll see for sure this week um, whether Vancouver has truly made it. But I do think for the reasons we've outlined, it is probably a better option than Edmonton. Yeah, totally cautioning that we have yet to confirm at this point in time on a Monday evening what the NHL's actual hub city plan is. But that's what we're looking, I think, at this point in time. And of course, the situation does rapidly evolve as the days and weeks move on. But that's where we're currently standing. Mm -hmm. The next question I wanted to ask to you, Anna, the other part of the speculation is that Vancouver would be the hub city for the Western Conference, while Vegas would be the hub city for the Eastern Conference, which does mean that Vancouver gets to play in their own city. Now, totally mentioning that Vancouver players would have to stay in a hotel. They would have to be in a bubble. There's not even a guarantee that they guarantee that they would play in Rogers arena. Um, Is there any advantages to be had for Vancouver players if they are to play in Vancouver? Well, like you said, it's still an unusual scenario, but I think it's definitely an advantage just to have that peace of mind that you're in the city that, you know, Um, you could be playing in your home arena where you know the boards and the bounces and um you know the locker room set up back to front or you could be playing in a rink you practice in all the time um i don't know if canucks have any experience in the coliseum or um langley event center but i think there's a definite advantage to just like just that psychological state of mind and the feeling at ease um in your adopted hometown what do you think i i think there's definitely something to it um you know even just having that familiarity with the city may give you somewhat of an edge i think it might be more psychological than anything you know the player the opponents that the connects are playing might think that there's an advantage that um they're up against but I, i mean i think it's more mental than anything but sometimes mental advantage is Better than no advantage at all. Yeah, I agree. Um, It might be more of a perception thing. And just that feeling that Vancouver is starting on the front foot, that even though we don't have the crowds or anything, that you've kind of won in some kind of way. 
Um, and I do think we, so hockey's a completely different sport, but we have seen the return of the Premier League and we've seen the return of the Bundesliga and home advantage has kind of somewhat been mitigated by the lack of crowds. But I think one, crowds are quite important in football in a way that they potentially aren't as key in the NHL. Um, I'd love to read a study on that. I don't actually know the answer. That's just my gut feeling. Um, And for the fact that, you know, they're dealing with very awkward situations surrounding travel, um, that potentially like a hub city, you wouldn't have to be dealing with. You wouldn't have to be flying in day of the game or um, things like that. So, yeah, Um, I don't think it's going to be huge. But yeah, I do think that edge will be there. Um, This other thing I wanted to float your way, and you can tell me if you believe it or not, or if there's something to it or not. But a part of me also thinks that there's a little bit of a long-term advantage here, or a long-term gain here for Vancouver, in the sense that by hosting Hub City games, the NHL, or the Vancouver Canucks rather, can sort of at least show showcase the city itself to potential players who may be willing to come to Vancouver one day. Um, Vancouver's obviously, Anna, a very beautiful city. And I think that if the NHL and if the Vancouver city of Vancouver does this right, they might be able to sway some players who have, you know, looked at free agency and the possibilities they might have. And players may be able to say to themselves, I could see myself living and playing in Vancouver one day. Thoughts? Um, I think that might be a bit of a stretch. I think that might be wishful thinking. Just coming from the point of view that I don't think what bothers players or like might stop players from coming here is the city. Or like I think that's one of the major selling points and something that gets mentioned a lot is players like coming here um to play and visit, but you know, what might give them pause is um, things like uh, how the team is actually doing, which might not, yeah, it might not m- mean, I don't think that opinion will change over yep. a hub city. Like, I, I, I just think that a lot of players think very highly of the organization, the organization of the Canucks in terms of logistics and the way they set things up and look after you. I think I don't think that's really an issue. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm just sort of looking for some sort of long-term advantages that maybe Vancouver might have out of uh, potentially hosting. Yeah, and I appreciate you being positive, Matt. It's nice. You got to look at it. Hey, we're not the best mediocre podcast for nothing here. (laughs) Um, And just also another thing on that is that one thing that would give people pause about coming to play for the Canucks is the media as well if they don't already play in a Canadian market and I think the media hype is going to be even bigger if anything so I think the media uh, experience yeah, I don't necessarily different though it will be very different it'll be interesting to see how it goes yeah um I do think yeah. um just to jump back to the home ice advantage it will be massive as to game times and how the logistics of that shakes out as to whether Canucks can capitalize on that home ice advantage because with two, you know, Pacific time hub cities, potentially, if they're, you know, 
end up playing at 4 p.m. every single day to satisfy the East. Not only would that suck for people who work past then, but yeah, it might waive a bit of the advantage too. All right, um, let's take a break, Anna, and when we come back, we'll get into a revisit of the JT Miller trade, the one-year anniversary of the deal that probably is looking like Jim Benning's best trade that he's ever made as GM of the Vancouver Canucks. We'll look at the draft lottery, which is coming up this Friday. And again, that Vancouver-Minnesota primer continue. Three players on both the Vancouver Canucks and the Wild who could be difference makers in the series and one under-the-radar player who could have that breakout performance. All that coming up next here on the C4 Podcast, CanucksHockeyBlog.com, and on the Full Press Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He liked to say the F word. Oh, then get the f*** here then. Okay, see ya. Oh, oh. Is going to have the F word on it. I wish I could give you a explanation about it. I can't. You, 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 you. Out of it. You said the F word, Dad. You called me the F word. So, Anna, a year ago today, Jim Benning made a big move. No, it was not drafting Vasily Podkoles in 10th overall. It was trading a conditional first-round pick, a third-round pick, and former Vancouver Canucks legend, goaltender Merrick Mazanik, to the Tampa Bay Lightning for JT Miller. Let's start this conversation by going back to what your thoughts were at the time of this trade. Um, I think I was like a lot of people and thinking that that was a very steep, price to play for what I thought was a good player but not elite um and it did seem to be just uh, you know Jim getting schooled again what were your thoughts immediately after oh I mean if we're being perfectly candid I didn't like it I mean I have never been someone to advocate trading for trading first round picks away um Mm -hmm. we have seen in the past that the the history of jim benning has been to trade second round picks maybe even third round picks on occasion but i was definitely confused and angry that the vancouver connects would trade that conditional first round pick which again as we've talked about ad nauseum those first round picks that the connects have had over the last few years have been nothing short of just gold like the the track record has been there. It was the one 
proven area that the Canucks could draft well in the first round. Ole Olevi aside, but you've seen Elias Pettersson, you've seen Quinn Hughes, um, you've seen Brock Besser. These were all players drafted in the first round. It was like a very good, like three of those four players under Jim Benning's reign, not including Jake Vertanen, like you're hitting at a 75% hit rate with your first round picks. And to trade away that first round pick, I think we all knew at the time that Miller and an improving young Canucks team, they would probably be good enough to scratch for a playoff spot, but might come up short in 2020 and would ultimately have to give up that 2021 first round pick. Right. Um, I think, yeah, that was the feeling. And yeah, it's not, we weren't wrong. Canucks are just like ended up in this shortened season just about where we thought we they'd be right just right. hanging out side a playoff spot obviously bearing in mind we've played fewer games but um yeah I don't think that was a false assessment of the team um I think we'd all be lying if we thought JT Miller was going to be as good as he has been I don't think anyone thought he was going to be bad, but I think, oh, yeah, yeah, his level has just shocked us. But I think the point to make, um, I made it time and time again, so I won't harp on too much about this, is that whether, like, it still is, can be a steep price to pay, even if your assessment of JT Miller was a bit low. Yeah, like both those things can be true, right? Well, I mean, now that you've had some time to to see JT Miller and see the performance he's put together, um, you know, friend of the show Tom Drantz put together an article on the Athletic talking about how if JT Miller's game does regress in twenty twenty one, it shouldn't be by by very much. I think maybe JT Miller overachieved a little bit this year, but I don't think he overachieved by a ton. Um, it showed that his play at five on five is still very, very good. Um, and it put him in, you know, some top, I believe, 30 territory among some really good players in the NHL. So and also, I don't think this gets talked about. The cap hit for JT Miller is very palatable for the next few years as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think he's really put it together here. Um he seems, you know, happy, seems at home. Um, and as you say, we do expect that to continue. Um, one thing I want to say is that um, although we're a year on and we have a lot more knowledge of what kind of player JT is, we're still maybe not close enough, not far enough away from the trade to know whether it was worth it because we haven't seen the Canucks in the playoffs right. and we haven't seen the draft class in action um, that we're missing out on. So, For sure. So let me ask you this question just to end the JT Miller conversation. At what point will it be a slam dunk that the JT Miller trade was worth the first round pick that it cost to get him? <sighs> I think it's hard to say because I don't want to say like let's wait until we see just who we could have had in that round and see them have three years in the league I think that's you know you can't ask a GM to look that far in the future 
um, when they're making these trades, they have to make a calculated risk. But I do think we have to see what kind of team the Canucks are in the postseason to see how close they were and whether it was the right time to make such a big reach move. Um, I do think that I did underestimate how like how much JT Miller has helped the Canucks raise their game though and how much he has improved players around him and how much he's like a really just good guy in the room mental figure so yeah I will say that like it wasn't as big a reach as I thought but we're still yet to see when when would you be ready to make the judgment call I think I will know for sure if the JT Miller trade was worth it at the conclusion of the 2021 season um, I'd like to know right. which pick the Vancouver Canucks are giving up, just like you sort of suggested. Um, and I think I just want to see one more season of this type of performance from JT Miller to really confirm that number one, it wasn't a flash in the pan type of season and he's not a one hit wonder. Um, and number two, that we know which player or prospect we gave up in that process. I don't have a problem with giving up the third round pick or Merrick Mazanic of course, but the cost to surrender that first round pick was very steep at the time. Yeah. Um, Anna, let's move things forward to the NHL draft lottery, which gets underway this Friday at 5 p.m. And for once, it doesn't seem like Vancouver Canucks fans will be as invested in it. And of course, it's because technically they're not in the draft lottery, but they could be in the draft lottery if they're one of teams A, B, C, D, E, F, G and H, if I'm not mistaken, which has a combined, as I do some quick math, 24.5% chance of leaping into the top three. Right. Um, So. Yeah. Sorry. Are you watching it closely, first and foremost? Um, Definitely not as closely as I have been previous years. Um. Previous is the draft lottery has come in around my birthday, sometimes dead on the day. So um, it's been something of a early birthday present or a bit of a unwelcome early birthday lump present. Of coal. <laughs> More yes, often. yes. Yes. Um, so well, now it's at an odd time. Now it's at a time where we don't know what the season really holds for us still. Um, we don't know really what it's going to look like or how long the Canucks are going to be playing. Um, yeah, whether they even last beyond this play-in series. But so, yeah, I'm definitely not as invested because um, it won't give us an answer. Um, right. It'll just show us what we could have won in those, like, so, like in a game show. But For sure. Let me ask you this question, and this was the question that we sort of posed back when the NHL announced the draft lottery format with the placeholder teams, if you will. In a completely weird world where all three placeholder teams win all three top three spots in the NHL draft, does a part of you want to lose the series to the Minnesota Wild so you can have that chance of being one of those top three teams. No. No, you're your team playoffs. 
I think if we make it, yeah. Like we're at this, we're in this purgatory stage right now. Um, and given how everything's set up, you just want to, I'm not necessarily of the opinion of the St. Louis opinion and, you know, make it to the playoffs and you could win it all. I'm not that hopeful, but yeah, I also think it's pretty defeatist and lame after we've waited this long for hockey to come back that we just want to root for the Canucks to lose again. Yeah, I mean, it's an intriguing discussion, but, you know, if all three teams won, essentially the Canucks' odds, if they were not in the playoffs, their odds at getting a top three pick would be 37.5% chance. 37.5% chance of getting a top three pick. Yeah. But, but I, again, like, Canucks the odds are, are the never in their Canucks' favor. Odds. Exactly. For sure. I mean, and... we're, talk- we're talking about the Canucks not winning just one lottery, but they'd have to win two lotteries to get that top three pick. Right. So, although, you know, um, with all the caveats of how strong this draft is and which pick we'd rather give up, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I just don't see it as it being worth it to really like do anything but really try our absolute best. And like, because especially with all those young players that we have, um, you know, elite players and we're just desperate to see if Quinn Hughes can translate to the postseason, if Pedersen can make it count in the postseason. We've waited so mm-hmm. long to um try that out and you've got like colder winner, potential colder winner, you know, and they haven't been tried out in the playoffs and I still think that means that it's hard to say that they're elite level players if they haven't shown what they can do in the playoffs. I just want to get your quick thoughts on this one, Anna, and it's, uh, of course, just for pure discussion's sake, but uh, the Detroit Red Wings have the best odds of winning the draft lottery, or at least one of the top three spots. Ottawa's got the technically the best odds at 13.5% plus right. 11.5% coming from the San Jose Sharks. You've got the LA Kings, Anaheim Ducks, New Jersey Devils, and Buffalo Sabres in that order. Um of those teams, which ones would you be most okay with picking first overall at the NHL draft? Um, it's hard to say because you're trying to separate teams that are, don't deserve it from a leadership perspective, you know, ownership perspective. And Buffalo seems to be running into the ground and Eugene Melnick is just a real bad dude. <laughs> um, not just incompetent, but a real bad dude. But you you feel so sorry for Senators fans. You feel sorry for Sabres fans. And Detroit are just very poor right now. But I think I'm going to say Ottawa. I like It just would seem like almost Canuck-level draft luck for them to have this good odds and still yeah. lose. And I I think they've suffered quite a bit. And from what I can tell, they're pretty disgusted with not just their ownership's incompetence, but yeah, his kind of less 
than charitable activities. So mm-hmm. I think the sounds fans deserve it, don't you? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I disagree. Um, Ottawa has never had, well, hasn't had a, in a very long time the first overall selection. And if ever there was a time for them to be able to rebuild around a young, exciting player, it would probably be now. The idea of them even getting potentially one and two is kind of interesting just from a chaos perspective. I'll tell you what, I, I don't know who I would want to win, but I know who I don't want to win. And it's the New Jersey Devils and the Buffalo Sabres, two teams who have won the last two first overall picks. I just, I think that, and I've said this before, I think that any team that's won a first overall selection in a draft lottery in the past should be exempt from being able to win it for a certain period of time. Right. So I, I personally yeah, I, could I, I, I not... agree. I mean, look at Edmonton. They should like be banned for a while just for what they've done with their first round picks. But uh, Detroit, by the way, is overall. totally devoid of talent. So I wouldn't be too upset if they won first overall. Yeah. And just to update you on the last time Ottawa got um, first overall, that was in Alexander Dag. Is it? Alexander Day? I'm going to guess. Um, I don't think no, that's right, though. No. It's not right. Oh. Did you hear Alexi the Alexi Ashen? Alexi Ashen? No. What? No. Um, he was um, number two overall. Ooh, this is going to bother me. Um, and by 96? the way, Alexander Day is, is correct as a first round as a first overall pick, but it's not the last one. It's not the right year, yeah. I thought 96 was kind of early. Oh, who would be first? Was Chris Phillips drafted first overall? Ding, ding, ding. Oh, I didn't think he was actually drafted first. Chris Phillips. I can't believe he was actually drafted first overall. Yeah, it's funny. The next year they got Marianne Hosa at number 12. Yeah, um, no big deal. I'd rather have Hosa, to be <laughs> honest with you. Yeah, but they had two um, first overall picks in a row. And, and both of them were years. relative duds. Relative, yes. <laughs> so, obviously, they didn't. They showed a great deal of mismanagement at that time. But, you know, it's 96. I was five yeah. years old. It's been a while. Like, give them a break. <laughs> All right. Uh, Anna, let's take another break. When we come back, getting into the Vancouver Canucks uh, play-in primer with the Minnesota Wild. That's coming up next right here on the C4 Podcast, CanucksHockeyBlog.com, and on Full Press Network. Take hitting out of the game. You can't hit anymore, so don't do it. The unsportsmanlike conduct, I want to get an explanation on. No kidding. Because how do you get suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct? Plus interference. There's no interference there. He had the puck. Now, Madison never, ever did that before. Now, why did he do it? That because he was mad. Well, your early favorite for the Calder <laughs> Trophy, that's for sure. Elias Patterson, you might even say your early favorite for the Hart Trophy. Just to get back to your question, Elias is going to play plenty. He can play. He's going to get a lot of power play time. And, yeah, I'm concerned about our offense. We lost 200-point players, and we've got to find a way to score. So, Anna, the Vancouver Canucks, the Minnesota Wild, we've talked about this before, on that collision course to play in the play-in series. And in this part of our play-in primer, talking about three players on both the Canucks and the Wild who could be difference makers in this series, uh, players who could really help decide the fate of that best of five. Anna, I'll let you sort of start from a Vancouver Canucks perspective. 
one player first who you believe could be a okay, big sure. difference maker in that series. Well, it's hard not to p- pick the obvious ones um, and go with like oh, four, three or four slash um, elite talents. Yep. Um, but I'm going to have to. So I'll maybe choose the least obvious one and say Jacob Markstrom. I think if he comes back at like strength, the strength that he was at before his injury, it will be massive. But it's such like it's obviously a big question mark Gold for you. Just to huge, yeah. Just to bring a old uh, old segment in confidence level in Jacob Markstrom oh. returning to that form in your mind. Full confidence or no confidence? Full. How confident are you on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being extremely confident. Yeah, it's definitely not a 10. But if anyone can adapt to these challenging circumstances, that's like basically Jacob Marshall's middle name. Um, So I'm going to say 8. Yeah. We also can't forget, he's also playing for that next contract still as well. So... There's definitely some financial right. incentive for him to regain that form in a hurry if he can. Yeah, and he does know that even though I think we're both pretty clear that Jacob Marstrom should be, you know, number one and written into the ground here, um, he will see, you know, that Demko did have that run of games and so the Canucks do have that option so i do think he will feel the pressure to perform for sure um i'll go next with the person who i think has the second biggest uh, potential to be a difference maker for the vancouver canucks and it might not be the person you think it is anna but i'm going to go with quinn hughes as my first big difference maker and i think quinn hughes does have that ability in this play-in series to really steal a game for the vancouver canucks by himself this will be quinn hughes's First real test of important playoff-style games in his career. I think he can rise to the occasion, and I won't be surprised if he does rise to the occasion and take control of a game on his own to steal a game for the Vancouver Canucks. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I think it's been a huge season for him. He's shown that he can compete at that elite level I'm sure he's done a lot of learning um obviously benefited from the tutelage the partnership of um Chris Tanev um but I think that he has the strength of character he just seems to be you know a man of few words but he's just very little phases him like he seems like very chill which is, yeah, I guess well well suited to the West Coast and to BC with that attitude. Um, but yeah, I think he has this huge potential to really prove himself. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, your last Vancouver Canuck, who you believe will make a big difference in this series, Anna? I mean, sorry if I'm going to be obvious here. Um, obviously tempting to pick um, JT Miller, but I've got to go with... Pedersen. Um, I think he has shown um, the capabilities to, you know, come back from a very challenging, honestly, rookie 
um, year um, in which he dominated, but it really wasn't easy for him. Um, I think he's shown that he has the ability not just in offense, but defensively responsible as well. You'll often see him carrying the puck um, from his own end um, to make a play. I think he makes everyone around him a better player. Um, I think he's very mature for his age. Um, And yeah, I think we just have been waiting not to be crass, but to show our new toy in him for years now out on the playoff stage. So I think this is the moment. So I don't disagree that Pedersen belongs in the top three in terms of most important players to the Canucks in this series. And I think we could both agree that Jacob Markstrom is probably number one on our list. But who do you think holds more importance to the Canucks in this playing series, Quinn Hughes or Elias Pedersen? I think it's Elias Pedersen. I think it's pretty close. I know clearly we're having a little disagreement here, but (laughs) I think in terms of elevating the play of his teammates, obviously forwards kind of have more of an option to do that and to run play and control play a little more than your defense does, because let's not forget that the knock on Quinn Hughes is his defensive play, which I think we both disagree with that. But yeah, I think it's still got to pick Pedersen. Okay, fair enough. I I would only say I believe Hughes can be the big difference maker because I look at the makeup of the Minnesota Wild roster and the structure with how they play. And I think that Hughes can be a difference maker in the sense that he can generate offense from the back end. I think he'll be a little bit of a facilitator whenever the Canucks are on special teams as well. He'll really run a power play on his own. So I think those are a couple key factors, I think, that set him apart. We know Elias Pettersson is going to face the hard matchup from whoever Minnesota deploys in that shutdown role. And so I think Hughes is going to be a little bit more of an unguarded player uh, in the sense that it's very hard to sort of stay on a defenseman who's generating offense. So I think Hughes might have more opportunities from his own end than Pettersson will. And I do take your point that it's actually from the way he plays and it's particularly on a power play, but just in general, it's very hard to nullify him, um, Quinn Hughes. So I do take that point. Yep. Um, you're one under the radar player in the Vancouver Canucks who you think could have a breakout performance, Anna. Go. I'm just really excited to see Antoine Roussel. Okay. Interesting. I just... I want to see, obviously, there's that easy comparison with Alex Burrows, who he massively looks up to, but he's great in the playoffs. He's like, he stepped up, but he was that pest as well. And yeah, we, it would just be really interesting to see if he's able to balance those two elements. Um, but yeah, I think he just might be really sneaky fun to watch. Yeah. Um, I think my nomination is going to go to Adam Gaudet just because we saw the the leaps and bounds his game grew this year. And I think in that three center sort of slot, he might have some opportunity to do some damage here in this particular case. So I'm going to go with Gaudet on my end. Um, on the Minnesota Wild yeah. section, Anna, 
one player in the wild who you think could have the potential to be a real difference maker? Um, Kevin Fiala. I think he's... Yep. I mean, it's not a controversial point. Um, he's a top player for them. But yeah, he seems to always perform against the Canucks and I find him really frustrating. Um, but yeah, he just seems to... His positional play is really good. Um, yeah. He I think you're right. And yeah, I think he's... I think you're right as well. Player. I mean, Fiala de- clearly at the age of 23 is having just one of those breakout performances that you do see occasionally in young players. He's always had the pedigree to be a difference maker. And um, you definitely saw it in the latter half of his season really coming on. You mentioned that he's seems to um, have the Canucks number, so to speak, in terms of a goal scoring threat all the time. So I think Fiala is definitely one of them. I'm going to chip in here with Matt Zuccarello. Um, Zuccarello is new to the Minnesota Wild this season, but we've seen some pretty big playoff performances from the guy that they call the Lizard in the past. And, you know, he's been to a Stanley Cup final with JT Miller, no less, with the New York Rangers. He had some very good performances Mm -hmm. there. The season before, he was playing for the Dallas Stars, where he was a point-per-game player in the playoffs after being a deadline rental. So I think... Zuccarello, even at the age of 32, he's slippery, and I think he has the potential to definitely do a little bit of damage this year for the Canuck, against the Canucks in the play-in. Yeah, I, I've i kind of always rated Matt Zuccarello when he played for the Rangers. Um, I think, yeah, he's still, yeah, at the age of 32, but I think he's, yeah, still a good player, and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see... Um, if he's able to produce with Minnesota as well. Uh, And I'll go for the third one on the Minnesota Wild, Anna, if that's all right, just because you took two of the Vancouver Canucks. But I will say my third Minnesota player that I think can make that big difference, probably not too much of a surprise here, might be the person you were going to choose, but I'm going to go with Ryan Suter for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Is that who you're going with? have Matt Sigurella. I didn't have Matt Zuccarello. I had Ryan Suda, Ken Fiala, and then I kind of stalled and said Zach Parise. But okay, I, fair I like enough. Zuccarello better than Parise as a pick, okay. so I'm happy. Fair enough. Happy um, and the reason why I'm picking Suter, and it's probably the same reason why you picked Ryan Suter, he's just an all-around very strong defenseman. Still very much, I believe, a number one defenseman for the Minnesota Wild. He's going to eat the hard minutes. We talked about the matchup against Elias Pettersson. I would anticipate that Suter is going to get that hard matchup against Pettersson and that top line this year. So I feel like the series could certainly hinge on his ability to shut down Elias Pettersson and that top line. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while um since he was in a playoff series um and obviously he's had that contract ha- hanging over his head since he started with Minnesota but over the years he's been pretty consistent um so yeah i think a lot depends on yeah how he matches up um with our top line and also yeah um his work on the power play as well I think for sure, man, that suitor contract is massive. I, I looked at his stats. He's been with the Minnesota wild now for almost eight full seasons. He's got five more years to go. It was a 13 year contract. Forget about it. But a 13 year, $98 million contract for Ryan Suter and Zach Parise, who I believe signed a very similar contract. So 
so, I mean, was it not Ryan Suda and his contract that precipitated the rule changes? Um, yes, with, with regards to contract contra- structure, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a tough one for any player to live up to, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, worth mentioning Quite that this deal. could be Minnesota's first return to the playoffs in almost three seasons. So uh, definitely some incentive for the Minnesota Wild to try and make it past this play-in series. And I think this is going to be a tough series, Anna. We've said this a couple times now, but I don't think the Minnesota Wild are going to be an easy out by any stretch of the imagination. Um, one player who I believe could be a breakout performer for the Minnesota Wild as well dismissing the fact that we think it could be Kevin Fiala as well, but another player who I think could be sort of getting a little bit more attention. And this came from Thomas Drance for me. Joel Erickson Eck is getting a lot of uh, sleeper potential, if you will, to be that pain in the Vancouver Canucks' side throughout the playing series. So I think Joel Erickson Eck could be one of those uh, under-the-radar players who could have a breakout performance. Yeah, um, obviously not doing as well this season as you know he would have hoped for but I do think he's still a talented player and I've rated him in the past so yeah I think he's a good sleeper pick um mine is actually Miko Koivu okay fair enough just I'd love to hear the from thoughts the, just from the veteran and the experienced perspective um and that he could just like in this very odd situation, bring that wise head. I think you're right a little bit there. I, I'm picking up when you're throwing down. You also got to remember, Miko Koivu is 37 years old. This might be his yeah. last real opportunity to play in a Stanley Cup playoff. Yeah. And he's not, you know, he's not doing terribly this season. He's not doing great either. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, people that are struggling on Minnesota a lot more than him. So I think he's, yeah, has the potential to be that um, veteran head. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Anna, before we uh, wrap things up here on the C4 podcast, you wanted to touch on uh, another big moment in the NHL last week with regards to a class action lawsuit filed by Dan Carcillo and uh, some other former players against the Canadian Hockey League, uh, alleging some very serious allegations of abuse. Yeah, I just think it's important to talk about um, in this moment where we're all um, re-examining attitudes and, yeah, re-examining the status quo and sort of saying, yeah, is this right, how we've been doing things? And I think it goes under-examined just in that kind of boys will be boys attitude and oh that's what a team sport is attitude that and super machismo attitude that kind of does filter through to the NHL as well um that yeah these things have gone ignored for too long and I don't think it's a bad thing that it's being put under the microscope a bit um and I just hope that um the suit is sort of taken on its merits and on the evidence rather than you know what the potential motivations of the players might be because i think we 
like all know that Daniel Carcillo's had a history, like, mm-hmm. and he's not he's no angel, um, but you know, I think what the suit alleges, and a lot of it's not just him saying that; that's it's a lot of players saying that. So it's definitely something that needs to be examined. And you know, we talked about coach abuse earlier on in the season. Um, and I think it's definitely something, yeah, uh, an issue that needs to be looked at more closely. Obviously, we're going to say that we have no expertise in the area. We don't know anything about law um, or any of these players. But, yeah, yeah, it's probably just um, about time. Right. And my two cents on this and like if the allegations that uh, Daniel Carcillo has put forward are found to be true, I I think someone has put it best. I can't remember whose name it was, but nothing short of a complete overhaul of Canadian hockey and Canadian minor hockey in general needs to be done Mm -hmm. Um, as someone who, you know, would love to have his or her children um, playing the game i i wouldn't want any of my children to be exposed to anything like this that's being alleged so um hockey should be something that's inclusive for all of us and um you know if there's any sort of uh fire to this smoke that there were in fact a lot of abuse happening in these ranks um it's going to change the game and so i i hope that that's done for the sake of the game in general yeah and just one last thing, even if you, you know, you were looking at it from the pure cold calculating perspective, taking away like um, what these players have suffered through, which I think is huge. But even if you're just looking at it from the pure perspective of think about how many players you're losing, think about how many talented players drop out the game at that stage. And yeah, even from that perspective, it's just a damn shame if you know that were to happen so i think you're right that it needs to be a huge investigation all-consuming yeah totally for sure uh anna as we wrap things up here on the c4 podcast any uh any final thoughts um well um as much as i'm remiss to mention the person i'm replaced i replaced while coming on to c4 um I did notice that it was, I don't know what to call him, ex-friend of the show, Clay's birthday. Yes, the big four six. Yeah. Certainly a uh, a special happy 46th birthday to friend of the show, Clay Emo, who tells me all the time that he still listens to the C4 podcast, even though he's gone on to bigger and better things. So happy 46th and a belated happy Father's Day as well to the big guy, Clay. Yeah, I guess we'll see whether he listens now, huh? Yeah, call him out on it. Maybe he should be actually be mm-hmm. a guest once again for once in his in his life. Um, so Anna, as uh, we wrap things up here in the C4 podcast, again, we're going to anticipate that we will learn more about the NHL's finalized Hub City plan later this week. It's going to be an exciting time. We will be back next week to discuss what the NHL has discussed. We'll also have some draft lottery reaction as well. Will there be a placeholder Team C picking first overall in 2020? I guess we'll find out. And and also there will be a guest. So 
tune in exactly. for that. Exactly. Looking forward to that guest, uh, who we will announce in the appropriate time. So uh, definitely tune in next week for what will be another great guest uh, for us here on the C4 Podcast. On behalf of Anna Forsyth at a Forsyth 3 I am Matt Lee at Matt Lee underscore 61 on Twitter. My co-host, Chris Golden at Lightforce. You can find him. Give him a warm follow as well. Join us on our Discord channels as well. You can find us at www.bit.ly slash c4 discord check us out with all that said we're out